Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, the last book in the New Testament. And hear what it says. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, uh, poverty, but you are rich. And the slander and those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Oh God, these are some heavy, heavy words that you have spoken to the church of Smyrna. And God, we pray that indeed that we, those of us who have ears, that we will listen, we will hear what you've written, the truth, the encouragement, the exhortation that you've given to us today through the letter to Smyrna. Father, I pray that you will speak through my vocal cord. You will think through my mind. Yet you will you will be in our hearts as we uh, to to receive the words as from you, the living word of God. God, help us to be, to believe in your truth, and most importantly, help us not to be just hearers of your word, but be doers of your word today. So, God, get glory. In this place, get glory in our lives. Let the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, a rock, a redeemer. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Those of you who just joined us, uh, we just started a new sermon series called The Big Reveal. And one of the purpose for that, uh, this sermon series is, uh, is because we're kind of living in a very unique time. Unique season of time that we get, we're quarantined, we're at home, and uh, as a result of that, a lot of things are reveal, uh, being revealed about our own relationship with God. And, and as we're praying about uh, what God is speaking to us, I thought that these seven letters from the book of Revelation, from God to the seven churches, are extremely helpful for us to pay close attention to because God is speaking through the churches, to the churches, but not just to them alone but really for us as well. And, I, and perhaps as we go through these, uh, these letters weekend and every, every Sunday, that you will start, uh, God will start revealing to you the condition of your heart and where you are in your walk with Jesus. Last week, we began the letter uh, to Ephesus. Kirk reviewed the book of Revelation. Uh, the, uh, these seven letters are written by Jesus Christ, who is to the church, seven churches in Asia Minor. There is the modern-day Turkey. Uh, Jesus, uh, through the vision to uh, the Apostle John, wrote these letters to the seven churches so that they will, they each receive a letter, but they're men. And every one of them, you remember that it was those who have ears to hear the what the Spirit says to the plural, multiple churches. That is not just for them, but it's for all the churches to hear. And as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to pay attention to what is spoken to them. And some of these letters have good things to say, 
And as we heard last week, there are three things good about the church of Ephesus. But yet there was one thing that was missing in their life. In their walk with Jesus. They missed the love for Jesus. They have forsaken, they have abandoned their first love for Jesus. So we talked about how important it is. Not only do we do things for Jesus, but we ought to love Jesus. Let that be the motivation uh, to, to love, uh, to, to do the things for Jesus, to serve Jesus, to, to do ministry for Jesus. No matter how great that task may be, love for Jesus ought to be the, the motivation, the intention. And so I don't know how you've been doing. Last week we presented to you a first 15 challenge. The challenge to spend your first 15 minutes of your day to be in the word of God, to pray to God, because God deserves the best of our lives. We want to give the first to them. So hopefully you're, you're doing well and, and if you're, uh, you're following that. And if not, uh, it's never too late. I want to continue to encourage you to participate in that throughout the series that you will start developing a habit of being with Jesus and casting your mind to Jesus, giving your heart to Jesus. So let's continue on. First 15, uh, first 15 challenge. I was really blessed to see our small group. Uh, people are spending uh, time and devoting their time in the first part of the day to Christ. And so hopefully it's been a blessing for you. So today we're going to move on to a second letter. So as you see the mailbox here, uh, represents seven letters that, that, that uh, Jesus had written to uh, the seven churches last week. We look at the, uh, the letter to Ephesus. Today we're going to continue on to the second letter, which is to Smyrna. Smyrna. Smyrna is actually 40 uh, miles north of, uh, north of Ephesus. Is not as big of a city as Ephesus, but it was still a metropolis. Uh, it was known for their wine, their, for their beautiful architecture. Smyrna, in fact, is one of the only cities out of these seven uh, cities in Asia Minor that is con- that's continued to exist today, but is with a different name called Izmir in Turkey today. Izmir is a beautiful city, as you can see in the picture. It's amazing architecture, beautiful building, nice kind of harbor city. I kind of reminded a little bit from where I came from. I was born in Hong Kong. It's just a beautiful place, beautiful city. And, and uh, this city is continued to exist in, in, in Turkey today. And uh, one of the things they were known for was uh, not just their wine, not just their architecture, but also they were known for their arts. In fact, the author for Iliad and Odyssey, the well-known ancient uh, uh, writing, the author by the name of Homer, was from the city of Izmir today or Smyrna back then. And, and so this city, here's Jesus writing a letter to Smyrna. And as you, if you remember last week, I said that every single letter starts with an introduction, a, a pro, proclamation in a sense of who Jesus Christ is. So Jesus come into uh, writing to this letter to Smyrna uh, through the vision to John, and John kind of dicta- uh, Jesus dictating to him, he's writing it down. And here's the first word that Jesus said to in this letter, in verse eight, he says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus identified himself. Who wrote this letter? He said, "I'm the one who's the first and the last." This is very uh, descriptive language in the book of Revelation. Represent Jesus being the one who is the beginning. He is the end. He is the alpha, the first of the letters for a Greek letter. He is also the omega. He is the creator of creation when there's nothing. But he is also the author of eternity. That God exists beyond time. 
All to say that represent the div- divinity of who Jesus Christ is. He was God before there were things. He self he preexisted before anything was created on earth. And that's the Jesus who wrote to the church in Smyrna. But he's not just one who is, exists beyond time. He also said this, that he is the one who died and came to life. I did not plan this. I wish I could get the credit for this. Uh, but we just celebrated uh, Easter. And how appropriate it is that that is the Jesus Christ who, whom we celebrated that was raised from the dead three days after his, time on the, his death on the cross. But as the, Smyr- as the church is starting to read these, this letter, this title, they actually feel a connection to God, to Jesus particularly. Because in the history of Smyrna, believe it or not, actually back in 600 B.C., the city was burned to the ground. But by 291 B.C., the city was rebuilt completely. In fact, they got the nickname, the city who died and came to life. You see, when Jesus wrote this and reminded the, the church of Smyrna, Jesus almost winking at them, hey, I get you. I know where you're from. I know what your city is about. And in fact, I've gone through similar things. In fact, greater way than you have ever thought that I've died and I rose again and I'm the one to crucify King writing to you today, church of Smyrna. And the question we need to ask is, is why did Jesus make these two distinctive characteristics of who he is to the church of Smyrna? And as we look at the scripture, we know why. Because this king who has died for, on the cross, but resurrected from the dead, he's about to tell them that I know what you are going through. In verse 9 here, what it says as you follow along, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9 says this. I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know your tribulation and poverty. If you remember last week in the church of Ephesus, we talk about that phrase of, I know, almost bring despair because it's almost like the boss giving you a job review and he knows exactly what you did or did not do. But in this letter, in this letter to Smyrna, this phrase, I know, actually does not bring any, any rebuke or exhortation. In fact, it brings encouragement. It is Jesus saying to the church of Smyrna, I know what you've been through. I know what's going on in your life. I've seen it. I've noticed what you've, done, what you've gone through, the things that you've gone through, and what did they go through? Here's what it says. It says, I know your tribulation. The, I know the affliction. I know the things that you're going through. Here's the word tribulation. And when the people of God hear that word tribulation, they know instantly what this word means because it is the picture of someone being squeezed, someone being crushed. The word tribulation had this concept of being crushed, being squeezed. Now here I have a little uh, press right here. Uh, at the back of my house, I have a few oranges. I have an orange tree back there, and I cut a few oranges. What, what happened is, uh, you, this idea of crush is this. That you are being squeezed by the pressure. And when the, when the church of Smyrna... Hear what Jesus said, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty. They are thinking of this picture of being squeezed and, 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 and there's pain and there, there is sorrow going on. While this looks nice here in the morning for a cup of uh, orange juice. The 
the believers in Smyrna, when they think of this idea of being crushed, sweetness will be the furthest thing that they will be thinking of. And you might be wondering, what were they being squeezed by? What are they being crushed by? What are they being afflicted by? What, how are they feeling like this squeezed orange right here? This rind that being squeezed out of what's squeezing them? Here's the history of Smyrna will be helpful for us. You see, Smyrna was a city that had close ties to the Roman Empire. In fact, they have such close allegiance to the Roman Empire that they were they won this this competition being one of 11 cities that get to first build a temple for Caesar. They were so close to the Roman Empire that they actually built a temple for Caesar. And what happened is every single year, the emperor will send someone out to the temple and collect these offering. And people in the city of Smyrna will go and drop in their offering. And they will hail to the Caesar. They will say, Caesar is Lord. They will declare their allegiance, their love, their faithfulness to Caesar Tiberius. But here's the reason why the Christians get squeezed is because the Christians refuse to do that. They refuse to bow their knees. They refuse to put their money. They refuse to say Caesar is Lord. Instead, they say Jesus is Lord. Jesus, the one who died and raised from the dead, he is my Lord. He is the Lord that doesn't become my master by coercion. He does it by sacrifice. He is our Lord. And so as a consequence of that, the Roman Empire pronounced open season against Christians. Since they are uh, 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 pledging their allegiance against, away from Caesar. So they said, guess what? You don't want to bow down to Caesar. We'll make life hell for you. So they get to, they get uh, they get persecuted. Their house get taken away. People uh, get 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 ostracized. Business closed down. That's why the scripture said that uh, Jesus said, "I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. People's livelihood are being taken away from them. Family separated. To some even died." You see, the people in Smyrna are being squeezed out alive because they are unwilling, unwilling to to bow down. To the world, I'm willing to bow down to what what is proclaimed to be king at the time, as if that's not bad enough. Because uh, the letter continues and says, "I know your tribulation, I know your poverty." It also says that I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Say so during that time, a group, uh, the Jew, the, uh, Judaism is 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 continue, uh, dwindling because Christianity continued to thrive. Judaism feels threatened, and and obviously this passage is not an anti-Semitic passage. Give us uh, a proof that says that we can go against Jews, but on the contrary, what Jesus is saying is this: I know. The persecution you're experiencing as, Ro- as the Roman government opened up persecution to, against Christianity. Jews were one of the, uh, in, in the city of Smyrna, there were a large population of Jews. And they were the first one to come and want to crush him because they, they realized the threat that Christianity presents to Judaism. And in fact, it is so against Jewish way to, to persecute other people. And Jesus said, it is not the way of Jews, it is the way of Satan. It is satanic to, to have these persecutions. And as a result of that, not only, not only did the Christian get crushed by the Roman government, the Jews also crushed them and slandered them, spread fake news about them, to spread rumors about them that they are against the Roman government. 
in thinking that they will rise above Christianity. They will rise above this risen king. That is where Smyrna was going through. And Jesus, the one who was the first and the last, the one who came, died and rose again, said, I know what you're going through. Smyrna was a suffering church. But here's the challenge for us, because for many of us, as we read this, our hearts may be moved, but they feel so far away from us. Because quite honestly, many of us have no idea what this type of suffering is like. In fact, we might think that this type of suffering only happened in Jesus' day and back in the biblical time. But here is a sobering reality that we need to understand. Today and right now. In many parts of the world, believers, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus Christ continue to face the squeezing, the crushing that the the church of Smyrna experienced. People who follow, who are unwilling to pledge their allegiance to the world, they continue to pledge their allegiance to Christ, continue to suffer. Let us watch a short video and see what they're going through. Around the world, the body of Christ is under attack. A congregation forced out in Algeria. Bibles burned in southern India. A Christian's home destroyed in Vietnam. And in China, an unregistered church is demolished. Just in the top 50 countries on the 2020 World Watch List, so many Christians are beaten, attacked, tormented, and killed for their faith in Jesus. In fact, right now, more than 260 million Christians live in areas of high persecution. That's one in eight Christians worldwide. Each year, the World Watch List tracks persecution against Christians around the world to help us understand what's happening in the global church and how we can pray and support our suffering family. As I stand here in China, I can tell you that behind the numbers is a story that challenges and inspires my faith. China is number 23 on this year's World Watch List, but that number doesn't tell the whole story. I wanted to find out the truth behind the ranking. I've been all over China, and I can tell you that it's an incredible country with breathtaking beauty, an amazing culture, and a history second to none. But the church here tells a different story. Christians are increasingly being pushed underground in China. Pastors are being detained. Churches are being closed. And people who have a personal faith in Jesus are being watched using technology that was never available before. The church is being squeezed in China. But sometimes when the church is squeezed, it grows. And China is just one country on the 2020 World Watch List. Christians around the world are being pressured, targeted, and attacked. The Christians in the top 50 countries on this year's list may be suffering, but we can stand with them in prayer and support. We invite you to join us in 2020 as we stand with our sisters and brothers around the world. Open Doors is serving in over 60 countries around the world, standing with the persecuted church. We'd love for you to join us. We are one church, one family. We are one church, 
one family. That's who we are. And as we watch this video, I hope that you feel connection that you have with those around the world with suffering because we belong to the same church, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you, go to opendoorusa.org to visit and find out more about what's going on in this world and how, how brothers and sisters, our own brothers and sisters are being squeezed for the faith that they have in Jesus. But not just learn about it, pray. Pray for them. As I was reading letters and I commit myself to pray for them each day, one of the thir- first things that they ask is not necessarily material and phys- uh, physical things. The things that they appreciate most, the need most are your prayers and my prayers. They value, treasure prayers. And so I wanted to take a minute to just during this time and pray for them. Would you join me and pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters? Heavenly Father, we pray for these brothers and sisters as daily there are over 260 million people who are suffering for the name of calling you as their Lord. That they're unwilling to bow to the seizures of this world. They're being kicked out of their home. They're being being severed from their family. Some even die. So God, I pray. I pray that you have mercy on them. Give them the boldness to declare for you. Help them to stand strong. Because God, you said you know what they're going through. You know the tribulation, the affliction, the poverty of their life. And yet, they are rich in the kingdom of God. So God, I pray that you will keep their light bright. Help them to shine for you where the darkness is evil. Think that they can put them out. But for your glory, but for your namesake, continue to sustain them. And God, I pray for myself. (coughs) I pray for our church. Help us to come alongside with them. Lift them up in prayer. Hold them up to you. To our faithful God, who's the first and the last, who died and came to life. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think it's easy as we look at this group of people and as we look at the church of Smyrna, we can easily just go the other extreme and say, well, my problem, when I look at them, my problem is nothing. Right? We all have this phrase, oh, we own that first world problem. But you know what? I believe some of us today are being squeezed, maybe not to the level of the churches in the global church or in the church of Smyrna. We are being squeezed by the things, uh, by, by our allegiance to Christ. Some of you are being squeezed at home because your parents think that you're silly for believing in Jesus. That you're a young, young person, that you're naive in thinking, believing in some God that actually can do something for you. Some of you are being squeezed by your friends because they keep telling you, why don't you just cheat with us? Why don't you just go uh, do uh, drink with us? Why don't you party with us? You're being squeezed because they're saying, you know, what's the point of believing in God? Look at the world. Some of us are working and being squeezed at our workplace every time topics like abortion, every time political issues come out, every time social issues come out, they try to silence you from saying the truth about who God is, about believing that there is value in unborn life. You are being squeezed from, be, from saying the things that are consistent with the truth of God. And you're wondering, does it matter? Am I going to keep speaking? Am I going to keep, keep standing firm? You may be being squeezed right now because you're, you're with your boyfriend and girlfriend. You're on your trip. You're being tempted to live pure, uh, uh, with purity, but at the same time, the, the world says, what, what's the big deal for sleeping together? 
You see, our problem, our, our, our struggles might not be as, as to the degree of the church in Smyrna or to the world, a global church. But nevertheless, Jesus said, I know your tribulation. I know the poverty that you're experiencing. And so God says, and through, as Jesus said to us through this letter, he comes with two encouragement. It is very interesting because Smyrna, letter to Smyrna is one of two letters out of the seven that did not receive a word of rebuke. Last week we saw the church of Ephesus got a rebuke. They didn't abandon, they forsaken their first love. But the church of Smyrna did not get any rebuke whatsoever. That is not to say they are the perfect church because I'm sure there are things that they can grow in. But I see the tenderness of our Lord Jesus that coming along to those of us who are suffering. And so today, if you're feeling squeezed like this orange, be confident in knowing that our Lord is coming alongside of you and give you the encouragement that he's about to give to the church of Smyrna. And hear what it says. Here's the encouragement that he gave to them. In verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Jesus is telling him, don't be scared. Don't be fearful of what you're about to suffer. There, I, suffering is real, but do not fear. And what is really interesting here is not is not is the reason why they should not fear. Because the passage tells us, if you read, for, uh, read on here in verse 10, Notice what Jesus did not say, because I wish he would say this, that don't fear because I'm going to take away your suffering, because that's not what he says. In verse 10, he says this, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, look, pay attention. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison and that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Notice what he said here. He's not saying, don't be fearful because I'm going to take away your suffering. On the other hand, Jesus said, don't be fearful because your suffering actually is going to get worse. He said, it's going to get much worse. You're going to go thrown into prison. You can get a sustained amount of time with tribulation. In fact, some of you will be thrown and will be killed that you will die. What, what kind of reasoning is that that I should not fear because suffering will get worse? See, Jesus is saying to us this. He's telling us, affirming the believers and, and to us this. That we don't have to fear. The reason why we don't have to fear suffering is not because of the absence of suffering. The reason we don't have to fear suffering is because of the presence of our Lord Jesus with us. You see, we don't, get, we don't, have, to, we don't have peace in our suffering not because God can take away all our suffering. Jesus did not hear it in, 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 in Smyrna. The only reason why we can have hope, how we can have peace, we don't have to fear suffering, is because Jesus said, I am with you in your suffering. This is why he, he told us that he was the first and the last. Nothing happened to you was a surprise to Jesus. This is why he said, I'm the first and the last. I'm transcendent to time. I know what's going on to you from the end. I know what's going on in the beginning. I know what's going on at the end. Nothing is a surprise. It might be a surprise to you and me that we will suffer. Although we shouldn't because scripture is clear. Jesus was never surprised. He knows. But not only does he know, Jesus also is in control. Look at the verse. He says this, for 10 days, 
you will have tribulation. Ten days, we don't know if it's literally ten days, but what one is symbolic to is the brief period of time. There is a our suffering is temporary. That as believers in Jesus Christ, as long as we live on earth, our suffering is not unlimited, but it is limited. And so we don't have to be fearful that it will go on forever. But more importantly, the most important thing is, Jesus said, I am with you in your suffering. I, he's not surprised by it. He is in control of it. Most importantly, he is walking with us through our suffering. He has suffered the greatest suffering there is on earth. When he died on the cross. This is why he revealed himself to the church of Smyrna and said, I was the one who died. I was the crucified king. I suffered the worst thing because I was separated from the presence of my father. Whom, in whom I have the perfect relationship with. And he has gone through that suffering for you and I. And because he had gone through that suffering, he has walked through the suffering that you're going through. He had conquered the greatest suffering. Whatever that you're going through is never too big for him. And he is walking with you every step along the way. See, we don't fear. We don't have to fear suffering, not because we don't have suffering. Not because God will take away all our suffering. We don't have to fear suffering because Jesus promised to be with us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 says this. For because he himself, Jesus himself, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, as Christians, we will suffer. We will suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us this. Those who live godly lives will suffer. As Christians, we will suffer and it will hurt. But here's the good news. Jesus is with us. Jesus is there just like Jesus was there with the church of Smyrna. And he said, here's the cross. Remember, I died for you. Remember that cross. But that's not the end of the story. There's a cross. There's death. There's suffering. There's mocking. But that is not the end of the story because there's something greater after the cross because there will be a crown after the cross. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus was exalted in the highest place. He received the crown, but the way to the crown is through the cross. And therefore, Jesus gave a second encouragement to the people in Smyrna. He said, do not fear. But here's the, the second side, the, 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 the other side of the same coin. Be faithful. Look at what it says at the end of verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You see, there's two sides of the same coin. If fear is focusing on the circumstances of our lives, being faithful is, on the other hand, focusing on God and His promises in our lives. Be faithful. You see, faithful, being faithful does not mean that we just pull up a bootstrap and say, oh, I'm just toughing out. Like, it doesn't hurt me anyway. They can stab me. It doesn't hurt. It's cold. I never care about gold anyway. See, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's the most important part of the word faithful is the word faith. Being faithful is never just toughing it out. Being faithful really means you are going to face the challenges and the suffering with faith. Full of faith. Full of trust in the promises of God. Full of faith in what Jesus claimed and proclaimed to be true. 
though we don't see it. Being faithful means I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, even if it costs me everything, because I believe that what Jesus said about my crown is true. That's why Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, be faithful unto death, which is what you will see. But I will give you the crown of life that you will not see right now, but you will experience in the future. That you are promised a crown of life. Trust that, believe in that, have faith in that. Even though all you see right now is suffering and death, believe that there will be a crown. And let that be the path that help you to walk through your suffering, the valley of suffering. You know, when the church of Serena heard this, this crown of life, the first picture that they will go to is the crown in the Olympic game. Because Smyrna was a city that hosts the Olympic Games. Every five years, they will host the Olympic Games. And many of us know the Olympic Games we're, we're, we're canceling this year. But back then, when they, and just like now, people train hard. They, they sweat blood. They, sweat, uh, uh, they, they work really hard to just work to the point where they can compete. And all, 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 to, all for the goal of winning that crown. And the crown that, they were made, that was made of, uh, of olive leaves and bay leaves. Unlike today that they get, they get a medal, they just get a crown. Put on the head, there's honor, there is, is, is comfort, there is, is prestige in that crown. You see, Jesus was speaking to a, church, a city, an Olympic city, who hosts the Olympic Games, that have seen athletes who have suffered all to win a crown. Being faithful means I will see to it that God will give me that crown. I will believe, choose to believe that there will be a crown waiting for me as I suffer for the name of Jesus today. I know for many college students or incoming college students, they start getting their acceptance letters. And I, I, I've been able to talk to some of them. And I, I just think of this and I'm preparing this message, how, how proud they were. Like all the, everything is worth it. All those late night studying, all those like uh, all all those hard work, all those uh, time that they could have fun. When everybody else had fun, they work really hard. All those pain and sorrow along the way, it all makes sense. It's all worth it because now they get the crown of the acceptance of the school that they want to go to. And here's the picture: what Jesus had for you and for me, for the Church of Smyrna, that there is a crown waiting for you. But here's the news, though. The crown waiting for us goes through death. Death to east. Death to comfort. Death to security. Death to the life that we wish we have in this world. Death to convenience. Death to sleeping in. Death to binge watching. Death to showing up to church. On time, you see, the crown of life goes through the path of death. And for some in this world today, 2,938 of them on average are paying that death, physical death, because of their belief in Jesus. And they do that because they believe that this crown is more than just life, but this crown is life as Jesus ends this letter with a promise. In verse 11, that he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, the one who wins, will not be heard by the second death. 
This is not a crown of the things of the world. It's a crown of life. Our ultimate reward is life eternal. Eternal life is the reward. And so the church of Smyrna, Jesus encouraging, fix your eyes on that eternal life where there will be one day no pain, no sorrow. There will be no more sacrifice, no more despair, no more discouragement, no more pain. That is the life prepared for you as you are walking through the valley of suffering and even unto death. Stay strong, be faithful, believe that this is the promise of God. And when you do so, your master is waiting to receive you in glory. I don't know about you, reading this just inspires me, this letter, just how faithful this church of Surin has been. And Jesus encouraged them, but on the other hand, I wonder, as I sit here, as for us as a church, for us as the Western Christians, is this letter an encouragement for us? Or is it a letter of exhortation for us? As your pastor, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that many of us have been paying a dear price for the wrong things. We're paying a dear price for the wrong things. What I mean by that is this. That the way of Christ, the kingdom of God is a very, is a paradox. I don't know if you notice here. In Jesus writing to the church of Smyrna, who get it right, they're paying the right price for the right thing. There's a lot of paradox here. Look at the verse, it says, you are poor, but really you're rich. You're about to suffer, but you are going to conquer. You're going to die, but I'm going to give you life. I just walked through Mark chapter 8 with my discipleship group, and we were looking at the end of Mark chapter 8, how this is the same way Jesus taught his disciples, that you want to gain life, lose it. If you want to have everything, lose the world. There's this upside downness of Jesus teaching of the kingdom of God, the way of God. And I'm afraid that for many of us who are living in the Western world, as believers, that we are paying the price for the wrong things. Because we don't see the upside downness of the kingdom of God, the way of Christ. That we're willing to pay a dear price to stay up late at night, to study. Because I want to get a degree that will make myself proud. That I'm willing to stay up late at night to binge watch rather than spending time in the word of God. I'm willing to let, 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 let one moment uh, to be with Christ to, to postpone to the next day just so that I can finish the season. I'm afraid that we're paying a dear price using our intellect to understand biology, physics, and every math there is, and yet we're not pursuing the knowledge of God. I'm, I'm afraid... I'm concerned that we're paying a dear price of climbing the ladder in the world to get better jobs, better grace, and better things of the world. And yes, sacrifice the depth, the relationship, the maturity, the conformity to Christ. I think the problem with us is not necessarily that we're not paying a price. I'm concerned that we're paying a dear price for the wrong things. Let me ask you, what has following Jesus cost you these days? What has allegiance to Jesus cost you these days? 
What has standing up for Jesus in today's world cost you these days? The reality is, I'm willing to pay the cost, though it might be small for some. We would never be able to count, pay the cost to sacrifice for the glory and name of Jesus when He calls the great, greater suffering. Do not dismiss your inconvenience suffering today for the sake of Christ because that will prepare you when Jesus calls on you to, to, to step in to sacrifice for the greater glory of God. Our daily small comfort and inconvenience can prepare for us the sacrifice for Jesus when the time he calls us to. So stay faithful. Don't be discouraged. Do not fear. I want to end with this short story because as Jesus wrote this letter 60 years later, the pastor of this very same city, Smyrna, by the name of Polycarp, lived as an example and the fulfillment of someone who did not fear suffering, who was faithful unto death. Polycarp was unwilling to bend his knees to, to, to renounce his allegiance to Christ. As a result of that, he was arrested, convicted, and brought to the stake for burning. As if that was not enough, they want to make sure he is so dead that they start stabbing him with the sword. To make sure he died for, unwill, for his unwillingness to pleasure his allegiance to Caesar. And I want to read for us. His last words, and appropriately so, his last word was not to man, but to God himself in prayer. Here's what he says. I bless you because you have redeemed me worthy of this day and hour to take my part in a number of the martyrs in the cup of my Christ for resurrection to eternal life of soul and body in a mortality of the Holy Spirit. Among whom may I be received in your presence this day as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. Just as you have prepared and revealed beforehand and fulfilled, you who are the true God without any falsehood. For this and for everything, I praise you and bless you and glorify you. And through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved servant, through whom be glory to you with him and Holy Spirit, both now and unto the ages to come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, be with us. Help us to be courageous, not be fearful of our suffering, both now and the future. Help us to stay faithful in the small things and the big things that you have called us to do today. And trust in you that your promise is true, that one day there will be a crown of life waiting for us. That today our suffering is momentary trouble. But yet for eternity we will be spending time with you and we'll be in complete union with you. So God, will you stir up a heart for you to, among us? Help us to be faithful even unto death. And so God, we want to offer our lives to you. May you receive the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.